A note from Robert P. Rabbit, 8. One thing a rabbit learns very early on is that family comes first. Every decision a rabbit makes is going to affect his family in one way or another. Growing up, if I decided to stay out late, my mother worried, my brothers decided to come look for me to make sure I was okay, and my father would stay up and keep watch until I was safely back in the den. If I decided to start eating badly, I might get sick and my mother would have to spend extra time taking care of me, giving her less time for the others. So you see, what I do affects everyone, but more importantly, no one is going to love me and care for me as much as my family. You're going to want what's best for those in your family, even though it might cost you something. Well, that's exactly what happened with Katie's family. They were always looking out for each other and helping each other stay safe and happy. And when we got to the Supai village, we saw how much the Havasupai value family, too. Chapter 8. The Supai Village Uncle Eric didn't have to tell us twice to run. Before we had gone a dozen steps, you could hear the roar of the water behind us. Katie screamed. Will called out to Emily to hold hands so they could run together. And Polly and I ran so fast we almost tripped over each other. Just when it looked like we would all be swept up in the flash flood, Uncle Eric turned to the right and led us up a small game trail between two big rocks. I would have run right by it, but it was just like Uncle Eric to find the trail that animals like deer, coyote, and mountain lions had used to get in and out of the canyon for food and water. He was looking for one. As we climbed up ten feet or so, there was a big flat rock where we all gathered as we watched the flash flood rush by us. In its dark, swirling water, we saw mud, sticks, some of our picnic plates, and even a few cacti that had been uprooted by the force of the water. It only lasted for a few minutes before the water started to recede. We waited until the water was just a few pools here and there before we came down from our safe perch. I don't think I want to walk on this path anymore, said Katie. What if another flash flood comes up? You don't need to worry about that, Uncle Eric reassured her. They don't come close together. It might be months before the next one comes. Gee, it's too bad we didn't have a boat with us, or we could have floated to the Supai village, Will said, and everyone laughed, relieving the tension. Well, that's a good thought, said Uncle Eric, but this flash flood was so small that it probably died out before it got halfway to the Supai village. I thought to myself that if this was a small flash flood, I sure didn't want to see a big one. As we continued on our walk toward the Supai village, Polly had us all looking out for any of our picnic trash we could find. So we would pick it up and put it in the trash bag that we carry with us. Since there is no trash pickup in the Supai village, the tribe requires that we carry all of our own trash out of the canyon, and Polly wanted to be sure we did just that. I began to tell everyone more about what they could expect to find in the Havasu Canyon during the three days and two nights we would spend there. The lodge there has twenty-four rooms, and we would have two of them. It was nothing fancy, I told them. There were two queen beds in each room, and we would all share one bathroom. There was no air conditioning, so we'd need to keep the windows open all the time to stay cool. The village only had one restaurant, the Havasupai Cafe, but since we brought food with us for breakfast and lunch, we would only eat dinner there. There were picnic tables and a corral where the tribe keeps horses, mules, and donkeys. They raise their own vegetables, but a helicopter delivers meat, milk, soft drinks, and typical groceries to the village three times a week. 
Havasu Creek comes through the village and flows about ten miles into the Colorado River as it goes through the Grand Canyon. In fact, the Havasu Canyon is a branch of the Grand Canyon, which is the deepest and most spectacular canyon in the United States, and maybe in the world. The creek starts off 50 miles to the north as a trickle of melted snow. It picks up other streams and runoff water until it enters a different branch of the Havasu Canyon than the one we came down, where it actually goes underground for a few miles, only to reappear just before entering the Supai village. By then, it has taken on its beautiful blue-green color. From the village, the creek goes over a whole series of waterfalls, the tallest being the Havasu Falls, with wonderful circles of rock called travertine pools that are about 20 feet across, and only a few feet deep below them. I hoped the kids would have time to play in the pools if we could finish our business quickly enough. When we arrived at the village, Katie was fast asleep in the carry pack Eric had made. Emily and Will couldn't wait to get a bed to lie down, and Polly was already planning our dinner at the cafe. But they all waited while I went straight to the tribal office. It is a tribal rule that anyone entering the canyon has to register there. Since no one was there, I wrote down all our names and how long we planned to stay in the office's ledger. Then I went back outside and saw down the road what I thought might be the lodge, an old one-story building with paint that had practically disappeared. We walked over, but like the tribal office, there was no one around. I looked down the hallway to see if I could find an employee, and I noticed papers with our last name written on them tacked to two of the doors. We figured that these were our rooms, so in we went. The kids immediately collapsed on the beds, and Uncle Eric and I went to look around. There were no keys, but I found out later they don't have keys for any of the rooms in the lodge, and since there is no air conditioning, the rooms were 10 degrees hotter than outside, where it was already nearly 100 degrees, so we didn't want to stay in the rooms very long anyway. We decided to make a plan. Uncle Eric and Will wanted to get to the falls and cool off in the water pools, while Polly and I wanted to get right to the business of finding the rock that does not move. Emily, Katie, and Robert P. Rabbit decided to just sit in the shade on a bench they found under a big cottonwood tree at the edge of the village. Polly had run into some of the locals at the cafe and the store, but she said they didn't talk much. Apparently, we were the only tourists staying in town, as everyone else who had come there over the past few weeks was staying at the campground or the falls. We set off to try to find someone who would be willing to answer our questions, but every time we mentioned the rock that does not move, people would give us a dirty look and walk away. Katie told me later that as they sat together on the bench, Emily told her, Katie, let's explore a little bit. It's too hot just to sit here. Okay, said Katie. Where should we go? Let's just follow the creek upstream and see if we can find where it comes out of the ground, said Emily. And don't forget your crutches. Oh, I don't need them, said Katie. I feel okay today. Oh, no, you don't, young lady, Robert P. Rabbit scolded her. You need to obey the rules. If Granddad or Uncle Eric or Will aren't with you, you bring your crutches. Oh, okay, said Katie. I'll bring them. So off they went upstream, Katie carrying her crutches in her backpack, Emily holding their water bottles, and Robert P. Rabbit hopping along beside them. However, they hadn't gone but a few hundred feet before Katie started having a little trouble walking. She didn't need her crutches, as she only needed a little support, so she got the collapsible walking stick Uncle Eric had given her, and using that made all the difference in the world. 
She was then able to go along without any difficulty, only resting from time to time. The creek was even more beautiful than in the pictures they had seen on the internet. It was a deep blue-green color, and the floor and sides of the creek sparkled in the sun like a swimming pool at an expensive hotel. They took off their shoes and started splashing each other and generally getting all wet in the cool water. Robert P. Rabbit, not being overly fond of water, decided to do a little exploring on his own and went quite a ways upstream by himself. He hopped all the way to where the spring came out of the ground to form the creek, and he saw something that worried him greatly, so he hurried back to tell the girls. When they heard what he had to say, they put on their shoes, grabbed Katie's crutches and walking stick, and went as fast as they could as Robert P. Rabbit led them to what he had found. But when they got there, they couldn't see anything. "'What are we looking for?' asked Katie. "'You won't see it from the trail,' said Robert P. Rabbit. "'You will have to climb over a few rocks first. Just follow me.' So they followed Robert P. Rabbit over a tangle of boulders, each about as big as a beach ball, with Emily helping Katie over the biggest ones since her crutches didn't work so well in the rocks. Just when they got to the point where they could see the water tumbling out of a big cave, over the rocks and into the village, they saw a young Native American girl about their age. She was struggling to climb over a big rock, and she seemed to be hurt. They both called out to her, Hello! As soon as she heard them, she looked up. When her eyes met theirs, she immediately dropped back behind a rock as if to hide from them. What should we do? asked Katie. Robert P. Rabbit answered, We need to go help her.